Learning Life on the One EO radio station is a podcast focused on all things learning. We'll talk to learning chairs, EO members, and the speakers who come to our chapters. And we want to know what makes a learning program great and what stories make EO members a most unique breed of entrepreneur. Stay tuned. We've got lots in store for you. And now, your host, John Toda. Thank you for tuning in for Learning Life, Episode 1. And we have a, uh, a really special guest here with us today, Matthew Weiss. Welcome, Matthew. Pleasure to be here. So, Matt, as I was telling you, I started this podcast because what I am really passionate about is all things learning. As you know, I'm the, the learning chair for the New York City chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization, and I work with experts and corporate educators, and that's the people who tune in and listen to, to my stuff and read my stuff all the time. So I am really, really excited to kick off this official episode one of Learning Life with the person who... I don't even know if I tell you this all the time, but I, you're kind of my benchmark in uh, in New York learning. I, I I'm always trying to live up to the uh, to the standards of Matt Weiss on all of my events. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. Oh, that's very kind of you to say, John. I'm glad it's a radio broadcast, so you don't see how much I'm blushing right now. <laughs> yeah. So Matt is an attorney and entrepreneur by trade. His firm that he founded and is president of is Weiss and Associates. You may know it as 888 Red Light or 888 Red Light. He's currently, last year and this year, learning chair for the South Florida chapter, which does an amazing job with learning, was formerly learning chair in New York, president in New York. I believe, and you could correct me, but I thought you had some global roles in learning at EO. Were you the global learning chair on the committee of learning? Yeah, well, I did a global subcommittee on learning, then I was a subcommittee chair, and then for two years I was global learning chair for EO, which was um, a great two-year run. In fact, we started EO24, which is an event that the EO global organization organizes, but basically we encourage chapters all over the globe, country, and world to have an event on the same day in November and then upload that event to a web platform so we can share from what we're doing locally with the other EO chapters. And so I'm proud that that initiative, which I launched and coined the name and, and pretty much quarterback to get off the ground is still in existence and uh, going strong. That's so cool. And, and also you are on the learning committee for the upcoming nerve conference, which will be in South Florida. And that's October 5th through 8th, just for all the, uh, learning chairs and EO members out there tuning in. Tell a little bit about the lineup you got. I think it's a pretty impressive set of speakers and performers you've got for this one. Absolutely. Well, first of all, we're doing it at the Fort Lauderdale Harbor Resort, which is right on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. So literally, our hotel has this amazing pool, but then within a stone's throw away, we have the beach right there in the ocean in November. It's going to be beautiful weather, beautiful time of the year down here. And then in terms of speaking, we have uh, Jimmy Johnson, and we have a, a 29-year-old billionaire who started Jet Smarter, and we have Brian Burkeen, who is also a, a local tech guy here and has this amazing facial recognition company. It's going to be terrific. And probably the coolest thing that I think we're doing is that we're running a competition among the South Florida chapter, and we're doing these TEDx type of short talks. And the competition is going to be narrowed down to three winners 
And we're going to do a session where you get to hear the three best EOers from our chapter give a short talk as the session. And I, I think that's going to be really terrific because I think we learn as much, if not more, from our EO brothers and sisters than we do from the so-called experts. We started that this year, this member speaker series we did last year. And literally, like, the highest scores we got across the board all year were the EO members speaking directly to their peers. I love it. I think that's so cool. Everybody everybody gets such a kick out of it. And, it, and you get so much value from listening to the members and what they're accomplishing because you can relate to it so well. So tell me one thing before we talk about some of the other accolades and, and things you're up to. So for all the learning directors and chairs out there, whether you're with an organization like EO or you're a learning chair or in some type of leadership position at EO, how do you go about getting someone like Jimmy Johnson? How do you work your network to get a guy like Jimmy Johnson to come for something like Nerve or some of the real notable people that you've been able to pull off? What's your process? You've been doing this for a long time. I'm sure you got some good experience to share for our audience. Yeah, I'm happy to share some best practices, but I can tell you none of them are foolproof. There are no magic uh, words or formula that works. But for instance, Jimmy Johnson is a good example. Because, and you mentioned work the network. We are paying him a substantial amount of money, a lot less than normally he would charge. And that's because we had a member who knew him and worked directly with him to secure his services, bypassing any agent or um, manager, always having that warm introduction, someone who has a friend of a friend or a relative or somehow getting to that person directly through a relationship that already exists is a great way to, to secure these big name type of speakers. The other thing is when a big speaker is coming out with a book, they are always out there promoting it and, and they're not even looking to make money. They're there to sell books. And so if you as a learning share can offer the opportunity to buy a fair amount of books, especially when it's timed to their timetable that works best for them for bestseller lists and things like that, I've found that they're more amenable to um, coming and speaking. Yeah, that's a great tip. And one of the things I, I just heard this, I think, from you know some of the training they gave us at, you know through Global was the first thing that comes out of a speaker or an expert's mouth when they start talking to you is the thing that they're most excited about, whether they're promoting an upcoming film or a book that's getting released or coaching is their end game. And do you see that, that you can kind of work with them pretty closely to figure out exactly what would motivate them beyond just a good speaking fee? Sure. Well, of course, doing your research is really helpful. You know, I just had a call yesterday with a gentleman who's I'm hoping could help me get my film, which we'll talk about in a little bit out and about throughout the country and help me get these theaters. And I went to his Facebook. There was enough publicly available for me to see that. He had dozens of pictures of a, a young boy, I assumed it was his son, correctly, and playing lacrosse. And it happens that my film, you know, the hero was a lacrosse player, division lacrosse player. So that was the first thing I told him about it. And having that little reconnaissance really opened up the door for me because he normally doesn't do what he's going to be doing. He's not really a booking agent, but yet he's willing to get involved because of that cross-connection and he, he related right off the bat. Well, certainly doing your homework ahead of time, whether it's before your email or, or call. And then, as you mentioned, being a good listener. Right? In sales, it's all about asking questions and listening. And so what someone's passionate about is right and what they're going to talk about either at right up front or certainly in large part in their conversation. And even if it doesn't come up, then ask them, hey, what are you working on now? How can I help you? And see where that goes. Because you never know until you ask those questions, you know, what could lead from that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, you know, and I genuinely enjoy speaking with the experts and, you know, celebrities, entrepreneurs, whoever it is that you're going to bring in to speak and like having that opportunity to do your research and learn more about them and 
and and it's great because when you connect with them, you realize, you know, it's a great opportunity for them to get their message out to a wide audience more than any dollar amount. So now you had referenced it just there, and I think it's perfect segue into what I think is your latest career move. And I think you are a filmmaker. You created an amazing documentary as the writer, director, producer of Man in Red Bandana. Tell us a little bit about the story of Wells, Remy, Crowther, but tell the audience a little bit background and then and also what got you so inspired to take this on as like the next evolution of your career, really? So I went to lunch with my banker, Jeff Crowther, and I have a law firm in Manhattan. What we do is we handle traffic tickets, fighting, speeding tickets, red light tickets for our our clients who get these tickets anywhere in the state of New York, from the Hamptons to Buffalo. And I decided to open up a bank account with Jeff's bank at the time. And as a new depositor, he invited me to lunch. Had no expectations for that lunch other than a good meal and good company. And over dessert, he came up about his son, Wells, and I was just blown away when he told me the story. In my head, I thought three things in quick succession. What an amazing story. Everyone needs to hear this story. I want to share the story with everyone. Now, keep in mind, I never read a book on filmmaking. I never took a class on filmmaking. I never had a bucket list item to make a film. But when I heard that story and when it gripped me so, I felt I needed to make this film. So I said to Jeff, this would be a great documentary, figuring he would say, uh, yeah, I agree. And then I would say, can I make it? Instead, he said, there is a husband and wife team already making a film about my son. And I was happy, but disappointed, happy that it was getting done, but disappointed it wasn't me. Fast forward five years later, and I went to Jeff, 2006, now I'm in 2011, and I asked him whatever happened to the film. I never got to see it, never heard anything about it. And he explained while they did shoot a fair amount of footage, uh, they didn't complete the project. The wife of the team got pregnant, and they had a baby, and then life took over from there. And that's when I said to Jeff, do you mind if I made this film? I would love to do it. And he agreed, and that was six years ago, and now it's finally coming to fruition being released in just early September, just five, six weeks away, I'm finally going to be able to share that story that I heard over lunch that day with the world. So I'm super, super excited about that. You were telling me it's now just been accepted into its fourth film festival. You've already got Martha's Vineyard, Rhode Island, Napa, and I think Jersey Shore Film Festival is coming up on August 7th, about a week or so away. Yeah, August 7th, and then August 9th, I'll be in, in Rhode Island for the Rhode Island Film Festival. As the filmmaker, you want to be there, you know, it's your baby, and then we'll do a little talk back after each screening, and uh, that should be a, a fun experience. I'm looking forward to seeing the audience react. Actions. You know, interestingly, I've been to about a dozen EO chapters all over the country already with the film. I've been to California, Texas, Ohio, Oklahoma, Virginia, um, among other places. And the reaction has always been extraordinarily positive. Some people really like the film. Most people love the film and no one dislikes it. So I know that when it gets publicly released, we're going to get great feedback and reviews and um, comments because I've already had that opportunity with my EO screenings throughout the country to kind of test market it. And not only for the EO members, but their spouses and kids, 10 or older, all of them universally have given me amazing feedback and have loved the film. Obviously, it's about a hero and an amazing story and extraordinary courage and sacrifice. Since he died that day, it's very sad at points, very heartbreaking. I'd be surprised if your heart doesn't break, if not shed a tear. Yet, the film is unique. I still haven't thought of another film that's like this, that is a documentary and has such heart-wrenching moments, but also is so inspiring and uplifting. 
You learn about how Wells died, then you learn about how he lived. And you learn how he spent the last hour of his life, his finest hour, saving people, extricating people that were trapped, putting out fires that were nearby. He actually carried a woman on his shoulder down 17 flights. And keep in mind, this was all within the scene of a plane crash. Because 9-11 in the South Tower for the first 56 minutes was the site of a plane crash. It wasn't a collapsed building. And this was a plane crash a mile in the sky with 2,000 degree heats, jet fuel, debris, uh, carnage, you know, all types of injuries. It was just a hellish, hellish scene in which Wells performed his heroics. You get uplifted, inspired when you hear about things that he did that day and you meet the people that he saved and how they talk about what he did. And then you learn about his legacy, how he's still remembered by his friends, family, and communities but even beyond that, he's remembered by total strangers who never met him, but have heard his story. So throughout the country, there's artwork, there's songs, there's babies named after Wells, Wisconsin, Texas, Georgia, Kansas, and other states throughout the United States. And then finally, when you hear about him, that he's remembered and honored, you then learn a secret about Wells, a secret that I will not share because it would ruin the ending for you. But it's just a perfect ending, truly inspirational. You're like, you can't believe that it's true. And of course it is. So you leave uplifted and you go on this amazing cathartic journey with this film, which I'm hoping many, many people get to see. One of the challenges I would imagine as a filmmaker on a project like this is it ultimately is a heartbreaking story, but it's also at the same time so uplifting and, and it's like a triumph. And as a writer, I guess, first and foremost, and then a director, how'd you deal with that challenge? Was that the hardest aspect of making sure that it was equally, that people felt the heartbreaking aspect of it, but then they also could could kind of come full circle with the triumph and, and how much he represented to all these people he, he helped? By the way, um, I did share with your audience the story, but one part I left out is this red bandana. The film is called Man in Red Bandana, as you pointed out. Why Man in Red Bandana? How is that related? You see, Wells passed away on 9-11, and his family had no idea what happened. They didn't even have a body when they had his memorial service because it was under this debris. But what happened was, eight months later, in May 2012, the New York Times did an article with different survivor accounts, four-by-four four accounts of what these people saw, how they got out. And there were five journalists that contributed to put together this very lengthy article. And Wells's mom, Allison, was reading it because she never kept gave up looking for anything about her son. And in that article, she read about two women who both said they were saved led up and out by a man with a red bandana on his face. Instantly, as soon as she read that, she knew that that was her son they were referring to because Wells always carried a red bandana. From the age of eight, it was a habit he got into. His friends would tease him about it, but he didn't care. He always had it. Why? Because his dad carried a blue one, and like any son that loved, adored his father, he wanted to be like his dad. So mom gave him a red one so she would know whose was whose in the wash. So... He sends photos to both these women who positively ID'd him as the man that saved them and then met. And through their accounts in the New York Times article, we're able to piece together the last hour of his life, which I described in all his heroics. So it's all connected to this piece of fabric. And, you know, it's amazing that for eight months, his family in utter devastation and heartbroken has no idea what happens. And because of a piece of fabric, 
they're able to learn how their son spent the last hour of his life, his finest hour, all because of this piece of fabric. And obviously they still cry and are devastated to lose their, their son, brother, but their perspective on the law shifts because of how he died and how he lived his life that last hour. It's such a, um, it's such an amazing evolution, right? When you think about it, when you go through a loss like that, it, as dramatic as that is, and then to have that one thing, as you said, like the red bandana that can give a family that, that, that closure and that, that really amazing experience to cling to. And like you said, it was his finest hours at, at the end of his life. And, and it's all due to the red bandana, which is just so cool. I wanted to ask you about the title, but I thought that might've been the surprise uh, uh, that you were going to share at the end. So I didn't, I didn't want to read it for anyone. <laughs> it's funny because a couple of things, uh, he was a superhero, right? He, 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 he saved lives. He acted in a superhero capacity going up and down the, the stairwell, you know, multiple times and saving people. And he had his special object, right? Superheroes have masks or capes or some type of superpower. His was his bandana. So he's a real life superhero. And, um, you know, this story, you know, it was just incredible because for eight months they had no idea what happened. And then this just kind of puts it all together for them. Now, obviously they still are heartbroken for their son and brother. They miss him, but, um, there's so much good that's come from this evil um, that at least it kind of takes some of the edge off that pain. You know, the brothers have started a trust. They've raised over a million dollars to help young high school students that personify Wells and value and values and other worthwhile causes. There's um, different um, there's books about him and, and all kinds of artwork. And, you know, he's, he's remembered in so many different ways and, and will be remembered for many years to come. In fact, um, we talked earlier about getting speakers and, and uh, working the network. So one of the stories I share when I go to these EO chapters is about how I got Gwyneth Paltrow to narrate my film. But keep in mind, Gwyneth Paltrow has never narrated a documentary before. She's not a voiceover person. She's never done it. And yet she agreed to read my script, which is pretty cool because... You know, this is, keep in mind, Matt Weiss, the traffic lawyer for New York with no experience, is now Gwyneth Paltrow, the former Oscar winner for Shakespeare in Love, something that Spielberg has done. And so, um, you know, it's amazing when you take on these projects and you try and give back and, and, and some of the great things that happen to you that along the way because you are giving. Just like, um, you know, when you're learning share and you get to meet and, and become friends with speakers because you're working with them to set up the event, you get those opportunities that now you have a relationship, a friendship with these speakers and can call upon them or see them and, um, you know, learn from them at, you know, at, at a different level than if you're just attending their event. But in any event, I, I quickly realized that if I was going to get an A-lister to read the script, because I wanted someone who had some name recognition that would give it credibility for film festivals, that would get the attention of, of a cable outlet that might want to buy my film. I quickly realized I wanted, you know, uh, someone of that caliber, but it would have to be someone with a warm introduction, kind of like how we opened up the segment about how do you get those top speakers. And I knew it would have to be a friend of a friend or a relative somehow to walk it into them and get a warm introduction. 
And so um, um, I was able to, through an EO or Joel Greenwald, who's a labor lawyer, him and I were having uh, cocktails and he I told him what I was working on and he said, well, speak to my friend, Matt. He went to college with me and he says a brand and PR for celebrities like Alec Baldwin. And I, I'm still friends with him. I'll give you, you know, I'll make an introduction. So I spoke to his guy and he uh, loved the story. Thought it'd be great uh, for one of his clients to be associated with. You know, I was thinking Alec Baldwin because he's a great voice and he's a New York personality. But he said he would also give it to Gwyneth. And I said, great. And right away, I knew who Gwyneth was. He didn't say Gwyneth Paltrow, he just said Gwyneth. But obviously, I knew who she was. How many Gwyneths are there? And so I hung up the phone with him. And really quickly, having a female voice grew on me and in such a great way. I never even envisioned a female narrator because as a male, I always figured it was, you know, be a male voice. You know, it's a, it's a male story with Wells' father and firefighters, you know, very much dominated by um, masculine people. I never even joined me for a female voice, but I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, it's a really tough topic and very harsh. And a female voice would add that maternal softness and balance to a very tough story. And it, I, I, I loved it, loved the idea. And when it got the script on her desk through my warm introduction, she read it. And said, this script is great. Loved it. Loved my script. And that made me feel pretty good because I was the only one who wrote it. And uh, agreed to narrate it. So I went out to California. We did a three-hour session. She was as lovely as you can imagine. And um, now she's uh, my narrator. <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. But it is. It's true. It's that you don't know how strong your network is until you start asking for the connections. And... You know, and I guess we've learned that as learning chairs. And, and I think that EO community and, and just the entrepreneurial community at large loves to make those connections, which is, which is so cool. So congratulations on it. And I, I'm excited because um, I've, I've gotten to read about um, everything that you've done with Man in Red Bandana. I haven't gotten to see it myself, but I am going to be uh, hosting your screening on September 11th in New York City, which I'm super excited about because I'm going to get to see the film firsthand and get to have Matt Weiss day chair an event once again for New York City. So it's like the the ultimate. So, you know, it's funny because um, last question for you because um, I was on LinkedIn, I think, um, looking at some of uh, some of your stuff and it, it had popped up and it said, almost like it was mocking me, it said, um, Matt's been in EO 20 years and six months longer than you. And I'm like, oh, man, come on, that's not fair. So I guess so, and I've been in about four or five years, so you're probably close to 25-year member of EO. Does that sound about right? I joined in 1994. Yeah, yeah, it's a long time. So... Tell me something. You, this has been you've been in EO, and it's a long evolution of your entrepreneurial career here, doing you know so many different things, and being so involved in EO along the way. For someone who's just getting started in leadership roles, getting started as a learning chair, it's overwhelming for a lot of people. The extra responsibilities for these volunteer um, roles that you take on. How do you balance it all? How do you 
effectively run um, Weiss and Associates, run all over the country, promoting, you know, first creating Man in Red Bandana and then promoting it, and then also doing as much as you're doing for EO. What's the secret sauce that that a younger entrepreneur just getting started on this journey could could learn from? Well, um, I would say to be efficient with your time and to put your energy in things that you want to be involved in that are most productive to you. You know, my business was not always one that allowed me to make a film while I still owned it overseas. But, you know, that took time to get to that position. But it also took a vision and a design where, hey, what would life be if I could have this business that generates an income that could support me and my family, but one in which I wouldn't have to do the day-to-day? And and I love that vision. So then the question is, all right, how do I accomplish that? Well, basically, slowly by slowly, figure out ways to not have to do those day-to-day things that I was doing. And that could some things were by automation, other things were by delegation, and a few were by abdication. And I just stopped doing them. But through those uh, three processes, I was able to get myself out of my business, except for you know an hour or two a day where I. Um, make phone calls and emails and, you know, every, you know, bi-monthly or, you know, a few times a year visit my office in, in person, um, but pretty much freed up my time to do other things, things that I'm passionate about. And, and I think it's a good lesson for anybody who's getting involved at, at any level, because there's always requirements on your time and you have to be, you know, really choosy about, or very selective about the things that you're super passionate about that you're going to spend time on because you can get pulled in just too many directions. And so great advice. And, and Matt, best of luck with the public release of Man in Red Bandana. It's going to be so cool. I, I couldn't be more excited than, uh, than we all are to, to host that screening in New York with you. And uh, best of luck with the, uh, I guess the Jersey Shore Film Festival is the first one coming up, but then it seems you've got, you've got a pretty busy fall. Um, so... Enjoy it and best of luck. And and thank you for coming on the Learning Life podcast. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that, John. Thank you for tuning in to Learning Life. On the 1EO radio station. A podcast focused on all things learning. If you're listening to this podcast, we want you to be able to learn about other entrepreneurs and use it to better you and your own business. We are 1EO, and the stories and experiences we share are what make this organization special. Take what you can from this episode and share your story with other entrepreneurs. Subscribe on iTunes. Go to the EO New York website and check out the podcast page. Join the EO Facebook group. We are 1EO. 